my name is Marlinda, and um, we're going to read Psalm 103 together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, I pray that it would be living and active, that it would pierce our hearts like a sword, that it would wound but also heal, and in its healing, bring out gratitude, a gratitude of heart that would continually, gladly proclaim, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless your holy name. May you work this in us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are coming close to the end of our summer psalm series. Not because we're running out of psalms, but because we are running out of summer. Summer doesn't officially end until September like 23rd or so, I'm told. But with school starting back for many this week, it feels like summer is coming to an end. Over the past three summers, we've been doing this psalm series. I've counted, and we've covered 17 out of 150 psalms in the Bible. So don't fret. 
there is a lot of life left for this series in summers yet to come, particularly when some psalms, like Psalm 103, require multiple looks, multiple messages in order to put on display all the treasures that are here. It looks like Psalm 103 will need four messages to cover all the riches. Uh, We've already had two. Uh, This is number three. We've already had two sermons in this psalm. And in those two sermons, we covered the amazing things found in the first 10 verses. Let me quickly remind you where we've been, the ground we've covered before we pedal on over new ground. If you look back at the beginning of Psalm 103, you'll recall that the psalm opens with King David calling upon his own soul to bless the Lord. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I want to give you an image this morning. I've given it to you before, but I'm really going to lean into it this Sunday. I'm going to give you the image that illustrates this concept of blessing. I want you to think of a beggar, a beggar, a poor person on the street. The beggar who receives something amazing, some some unexpected good gift from a stranger, $10,000 put there in his cup. And the beggar's reaction to that is completely unrehearsed, completely natural. He says, oh, bless you. Bless you, kind sir. In the heart, gratitude rises up in response to the unexpected gift. Have you ever seen one of those videos where someone is just blown away by receiving an amazing tip? Those circulate on the internet. You've seen it? It's like that. This is what God has done for us and our natural reaction. Far better than receiving an amazing tip, God has poured out his gifts upon you. Our soul's response should be to pour out our heart's gratitude on him. Verse 1, like this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. What enables and pours fuel on the fire of such Godward gratitude? Verse 2 tells us, remember this, verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. It's remembering the blessings and benefits toward us that fuels our blessing and gratitude towards God. It's like the beggar remembering again and again the act of generosity that has pulled him out of his poverty. Every time we think about what God has done for us, spontaneous gratitude is our response. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. That should be our response, but it's very easy to be an ungrateful beggar, isn't it? Remember the 10 lepers who were beggars that Jesus cleansed and healed? Only one returned to thank him. Only one came back to pour out his gratitude at the feet of Jesus. If we don't want to be like the ungrateful beggars who forget, who fail to return and give thanks, then we need to be continually 
parading before our hearts all the many reasons we have to be grateful, to bless God. Remember G.K. Chesterton's choice? Either we take things for granted or we take them with gratitude. Either we take things for granted or we take them with gratitude. And the way to take them with gratitude is by practicing a better form of mindfulness. Remember this? Mindfulness. Mindfulness is all the rage today in some circles. It's trending like it's something new, but it's not. As Christians, we're called to practice a better form of mindfulness. Mindfulness in its best form. We're called to be continually mindful of all the many, many things that should make us feel grateful toward God. Every day, moment by moment, we should be having that grateful beggar experience, that grateful beggar reaction. Bless you, kind sir. Bless you, Lord. This gift was free and undeserved. This good was graciously given, and it is the opposite of what I deserve. So, what are these good things we're to be mindful of? What things should spark gratitude in our hearts? What things should call our souls to bless the Lord? David calls his own soul not to forget these things, and then he starts laying them out one by one, one after another. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. What are they? Verse 3, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. When was the last time you talked to your soul? like David talks to his soul here? When was the last time you preached to your heart like this? Hey, KJ, remember what you deserve? Remember what your sinful treason has merited? But now, remember what you have received in Christ. You deserved a traitor's fate for that to fall upon your head, but instead your life has been redeemed and your head has been crowned with loving kindness and compassion. If you want to be grateful, if you want to cultivate Godward gratitude in your heart, then this is the diet you need to be feeding your soul every day. You need to be mindfully feasting each day upon the merciful blessings of God. There are five blessings to be mindful of just in the first five verses of Psalm 103. In verses 6 through 10, there are another five blessings. We've seen these. I'll remind you of the headings. Uh, We were called to be mindful of God's righting of wrongs, verse 6. To be mindful of God's revealing of himself, verse 7. To be mindful of God's consistent character, verse 8. Of God's changing disposition, verse 9. And God's amazing grace, verse 10. If you want to re-examine any of those blessings, you can go online and listen to part two of Psalm 103. But today, for part three, we're going to see three more blessings to be mindful of. We're picking up in verse 11, 
with this charge to our soul. Be mindful of God's great love. Be mindful of God's great love. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. Let's again see this through the lens of being a beggar. A person who, in this case, is spiritually destitute. Imagine yourself in this situation. We're on the street, spiritually bankrupt, unloved, and unlovely. But all of a sudden, there is a clink of a coin in our cup. We look down, and with a gasp, we see the unexpected gleam of gold. We look up and see the unexpected look of love in the eyes of Jesus shining down on us. Our beggar's cup clinks again, and the single gold coin has become two, and then four, and then eight. Like the fish and loaves, it's it's multiplying there in front of us. The gold quickly overflows our little cup and to our astonishment begins piling up higher and higher. It goes on piling up higher and higher all the way up to the heavens. This is an illustration of God's love for you, for you. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. This declaration of love in verse 11 is worth more than all the gold from here to Birmingham piled to the stars. This declaration of love. If you doubt whether verse 11 is worth that much, ask this of your soul. Soul, Which would you rather have? Gold piled to the stars or God's love piled to the stars? Which is more valuable? Which is of greater worth and consequence? I think you already know the answer. Everyone knows what the greater value is between the two, love and money. Everyone knows. Even Kenny Loggins knows. Even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. Everything will bring a chain of love. And in the morning when I rise, bring a tear of of joy to my eyes and tell me everything's going to be all right. Even in our very limited human experience and knowledge of song lyrics, it teaches us this. That love is of such great value. We don't care about gold piled to the stars when we have it. And every morning when we rise, what brings tears of joy to our eyes? Love, not money. Love. Gold can't purchase new joy every morning, but love can. So, which would you rather have? Gold piled to the stars or God's love piled to the heavens? Which is of greater worth? The love of God, piled higher than the heavens, 
is of vastly greater worth than gold. Everyone should know that. And guess what, Christian? You already have it. What's of greatest worth, you already have it. You have the greater thing. You have the greatest good. You have a love fixed upon you worth more than a million worlds. You have love, pure and undiluted, from the source of all love. The Apostle John taught us a simple yet profound truth when he declared in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, that God is love. You remember that statement? God is love. No other religion of the day was making such a claim when John made it. Glenn Scrivener reminds us that we we take this for granted, this idea of a love ethic today, but historians simply do not know of any other Roman era religious group in which love played this important role in discourse and behavioral teaching. No, this is revolutionary. Love. When the Bible says God is love, it is saying something that no one has ever said before. It's a revolution. And the Apostle John is saying more than God is loving. He says God is love. He is the source of all love. All instances of love in the world, in the lives of believers and unbelievers, flows downstream from this God. The examples of love we see here in this world come to us like moonlight comes to our eyes. Moonlight is light. It illuminates the darkness. It's real light. I go on a walk every night with our dog in the moonlight. Moonlight is real light. But the moon isn't the real source of that light. It's actually just a dim reflection of the true source, the sun. It's the same with love. Even the best examples of love we see in the world, a husband's love for his wife, a mother's love for her child, even the best examples of love we see are but dim reflections of the source. Our love is moonlight. God's love is the radiant sun. His love is the blazing center of all things. His love burns with an intensity that we only catch small glimpses of, small reflections of here. Perhaps that's all we can stand. But what Jesus puts in our beggar's cup is not just a greater quality than what we can comprehend. It's also a greater quantity. It's pure love from the source of love, and it's more love than we can imagine. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. How could we possibly measure so much love? What's a way to quantify the quality and quantity of this love? The Apostle John helps us here again. Here is how to quantify 
how much love this is. He tells us John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son. That whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here is a way to quantify how much love this is. God loved you so much that he came to earth to die for you. God the Son became incarnate. He took on flesh in order to take on your punishment and your poverty upon his shoulders. He who was rich became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Not with temporary riches, but with everlasting ones, with everlasting life. This is the coin that has fallen into your cup, Christian. This is the love God has towards you, one that is piled higher than the heavens. So, what's your heart's response? As the coin of God's love falls into your beggar's cup today, what's your soul's response as you see love's gold overflowing and multiplying up to the stars? Shouldn't your inner response be this? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Be mindful of God's love, church, and be grateful. Be mindful of God's great love and be mindful of sin's removed condemnation. Sin's removed condemnation. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Be mindful of sin's removed condemnation. Picture again yourself as that spiritually bankrupt beggar. You're unlovely and unloved, but that's not all your story. As is often the case with real-world beggars, it's largely your own choices that have brought you to this point. In life, we all want to help those people who would be unceasingly grateful for our help and are in their impoverished state through no fault of their own. We all want to help those kind of people. Everyone does. But those people rarely ever exist. And that's okay. Because their story is our story as well. We were in our spiritually impoverished state through our own sin through our own sinful choices. And we are not unceasingly grateful for the help we receive every day of our lives from God. When Jesus said that God himself is kind to evil and ungrateful men, Jesus was referring to me. Jesus was talking about you, evil and ungrateful. God is kind to evil and ungrateful people like you and me. We are the evil and ungrateful beggars that God has lavished his love and help upon. So, we can now go and do likewise. 
we can help those who will never thank us. We can help those who are in their plight through all their own doing, all their own fault. Because that's precisely what God has done for us. That's a copy and paste of our story. The Bible says that we were rebels against God. We had committed acts of treason against creation's king, and we had earned the wages of death. We impoverished ourselves by setting fire to the garden that we were supposed to be tending. And we ran off to make our own way in the world. It's in this position, in this self-imposed poverty, that the king finds us. This is our lost and helpless condition when the gold of his love clinks in our cup. We not only receive the incredible value of the king's love, but having pursued us and found us, the king pronounces this pardon over us. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgression from you, the king says. Now, verse 12 is an occasion where David, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, speaks a better word than I think he knows. He speaks better than he knows. We can't know this for sure. But if we could get into a time machine and go back and ask King David, who wrote this psalm, if we could ask him, is the world round? I very much doubt he would have said, yes, of course. I doubt David knows that. But because the creator knows the true nature of his creation, he never allows the scripture to make false claims about the world and the nature of the world, which should be remarkable. If you bothered to compare the Bible, what the Bible says, with any other ancient text written at the time where false claims about nature are frequently made, it's, it's remarkable. David, the human author, probably doesn't know the world is round. But because God's Spirit inspires his word, David speaks a better truth than he knows. How far is the east from the west? On a sphere with no ends, how far is it? The distance is infinite. You can keep traveling east and never stop traveling eastward. You can keep traveling west and never stop. There is no end to the distance. There's no end to how far our sin has been removed from us. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in Romans 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our guilt has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Jesus has removed the stain of our sin from us by taking it upon himself. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has already taken it all, all that condemnation upon himself for us. He has removed sin's guilt from us so that his love 
need never be removed from us. The guilt of our sin will be removed as far as the east is from the west, but Paul tells us that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin's condemnation has been removed from us so that nothing can ever remove God's love from us. When? was the last time you rejoiced in that? When was the last time you felt so profoundly grateful that sin's condemnation has been removed from you and that God's love is here to stay? This can be the way you begin every day, each day basking in the belief that there is no condemnation for you, though you deserve it, and that heaven is full to the brim with love for you, though you certainly do not deserve it. Those truths can come like gold coins clinking in your beggar's cup every morning, bringing with them fresh joy. Joy can be ours as long as we are mindful of these things. We forget none of his benefits. We call them back to mind. Let's look at one more verse, and let me give you one more final thing to be mindful of this morning. One more coin clinking in your cup. We're called to be mindful of God's great love, verse 11. Of sins remove condemnation, verse 12. Number three, finally, be mindful of God's fatherly compassion, verse 13. God's fatherly compassion, verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Let me add one last wrinkle to your story as a beggar. You and I are like beggars, unloving and unlovely, rebels who need our treason removed. But also, last wrinkle, we are like beggars who are prodigals. We are prodigal sons. Every beggar is probably someone's prodigal son or daughter. We are prodigals who have turned away from God as our father. We have, each in our own way, come to our Father and said, give me my inheritance. I want what is mine. I want to spend your gifts on whatever I want. Fist in our Father's face. Fist in God's face. We have said with our lives, I know what is best. I know best how to spend my life. I will do it my own way. I will follow my own heart's desires. And then, like the prodigal son in Jesus' story, we go out into the world and we spend our lives pursuing all the wrong ways to find real happiness. 
we squander away our gifts and talents and life's breath, pursuing things that cannot possibly satisfy until, hopefully, one day we wake up and we realize we're living in a pigsty. The things that we thought would make us happy aren't. The things we thought would satisfy us don't. We begin to come to our senses and say, going my own way has only impoverished my soul. Far better to return to my father and be his slave than to continue to be a slave to my own self-destructive desires. Servants of a good master have it better than I do. Being my own master has only led to my misery. This is what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll own it. I'll repent. I'll confess I've squandered his gifts and I'll ask to be one of his servants. But in returning home, you know the unexpected twist Jesus puts into the story. The prodigal son returns home to the father to beg. But the father sees him coming. And filled with compassion, Jesus says, the father runs to the son. Arms open wide. Before the beggar son begins his begging, the father's compassion is already flowing, full steam upon him. Quickly, he says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring out the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Jesus said, this story best expresses God's heart towards you. God's fatherly heart, full of compassion. Verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You were the son who thought you knew best. Fist in the face of your father. Wasting all your gifts in life. Reduced to a state of spiritual bankruptcy. But your father saw you. In compassion. He ran to you. He pursued you. Why? Because, verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you. We were there stewing in our self-made poverty, but the sound of gold clinks in our cup, and we look up. And as we look up, we don't just see the face of a Savior who loves or of a King who pardons. We see the face of a Father who has compassion on us. He has pursued us here to this place at great expense, at the cost of our elder brother's very life. He has come to bring us home. What's your soul's response to such unconditional love? 
to such radical forgiveness, to such fatherly compassion. May your response today and every day be a Godward gratitude that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your compassionate, forgiving, loving, holy name. Let's pray. Father, as we catch a fresh glimpse this morning of your love, of your forgiveness, of your compassion, may our heart's response be David's heart, saying, bless the Lord. Oh, fill us with gratitude that we may pour it out in blessing upon you, in praise upon you. You have been so, so good. We have been so, so slow to recognize and be grateful for all the good we have received, all the love lavished on us, all the forgiveness poured out again and again and again, all the compassion full overflowing that is directed to us. May we, in this moment, feel fresh joy, fresh gratitude, and pour out fresh praises upon you, confronted again with this reality. But may it not end in this moment. May we make it our every day to rejoice in your mercies that are anew, in the new coin put into our cup that is full, overflowing, piled to the stars every day. May our hearts respond to these realities in a way that is appropriate, in the only way that is appropriate. Bless the Lord, O our soul. May that be our heart's cry. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.